This morning, uh, we have the tremendous privilege and, and honor to be able to hear a um, story of one of our own. Tom, come on up. Um, for those of you that are visiting, uh, you know, normally this, this Sunday is a Sunday in which a lot of our folks travel and are out of town. And what we've done in the history of our church, which only goes back about six years, is that we've spent this Sunday allowing the church family to be able to share their story of what God has done. Um, and, and this year, we're doing something a little bit different. This year, uh, instead of hearing sort of from everybody for just a short time, what we wanted to do was give an opportunity to hear uh, a story of one person who is a, a part of our church family. And uh, I want to introduce you guys to Tom. This is Tom, everybody. Everybody, this is Tom. Morning. It's a privilege to be here, everybody. Morning. Now, many of you guys already know Tom um, because <laughs> you're already raising your heads. Okay. And many of you guys already know Tom, and, and Tom already knows a lot of you. Um, so what we want to do this morning, you guys, is just kind of hear Tom's story and his journey. Um, and uh, it's a powerful one uh, for me, uh, as I've heard it, and uh, I wanted to share it with you and have it be a blessing today. So uh, without further ado, Tom, as we... Uh, as we think back, as you think back on the last five, seven years or so, and we're going to go back a little bit more, but it's about five, seven years or so, um, just share with us a little bit about what, what's life been like for Tom in the last five, seven years? Uh, it's been, uh, been a series of uh, falls, climbs back up the ladder. Uh, a lot of frustration, a lot of desperation, living in homelessness and addiction. Um, I moved to Colorado in 1991 to take a job in a, in a resort, and I worked there. I worked in Colorado for seven years. Um, I, uh, was, I was walking on the streets in Denver one afternoon in the uh, mid-90s, and uh, I'd just gotten paid. I found a fine, a fine job in the flatland, uh, the kind of luck that has run with me through my whole life to be able to find jobs in my career, a 30-year career in the food service business uh, at some top levels. Um, at any rate, I had a pocket full of money, and I went out on what is a notorious street named Colfax Avenue and tried to buy some drugs. And I was successful for about 10 minutes. Uh, within which time the cuffs were put on my hands. Um, I ended up with a felony uh, possession charge with intent to distribute in the state of Colorado. Uh, Spent uh, eight months in jail. I spent my 40th birthday in prison. Um, When I was released from from jail, I um, was on an intensive probation program that required drug testing, uh, drug and alcohol classes that the state of Colorado graciously allows me to pay for. And uh, I had found another job, a decent job, right in, the, uh, right in the downtown area in Denver. And with my second paycheck, I got on a bus and ended up with a state escape charge from the state of Colorado for mm. flight of probation. Mm. Uh, federal national warrant was issued for me for my arrest in any state that I was found. Um, I came home to Chicago. I had uh, this uh, curse of luck to find a job here. Uh, In some situations with with my being able to find work, it's been a blessing, and in some, a curse. And this one was definitely a curse. I worked at a local club up on Montrose. It was an all-night karaoke club, a 4 a.m. bar, where I was uh, in charge of the kitchen. And the owners had some tremendous... uh, power, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. and uh, they were able to have this national warrant rescinded to a statewide warrant, which means that now I'm, I can't enter the state of Colorado, mm-hmm. uh, which is where my sister lives. So things get really thick right here, because when I flew uh, Colorado, there was a uh, lien on my sister's house, a $2,500 bond that my sister had to pay when I flew the state. Not only can I not go see my sister because I'm not allowed in the state of Colorado, 
Um, I was responsible for her having to dig into her savings to pay my uh, forfeited bond. Mm. Uh, something that I have never made amends for. And, uh, you know, with God's help, I, I hope to be able to come to a point where, you know, I can rectify that situation. So here I am in Chicago, living in the chicken shack on Clark Street. It's called the Annex Hotel. Uh, a lot of crackheads. Raise your hand. Um, uh, I found found another job. Uh, uh this time working for another restaurant. I started waiting tables. After I left Sidekicks, I got a job at a, a restaurant on Harlem called Vince's. And I, I had decided that I didn't want to work in the kitchen, so what's the next thing for a chef to do become a waiter? It was a, it was a walk. Uh, I ended up becoming the top sales waiter on the floor in about a month and with more customer requests than most of the tenured servers in the, in the property. Mm-hmm. Taking home a lot of money in cash, spending it all on cocaine. Uh, I was able to function in my disease for several months on that job, mm-hmm. and um, I put a, a put a cut all my hair off to get the job in the first place. I had hair down to my butt when I left Colorado, and uh, this guy at Sidekicks told me he said, "Man, you're." You know, I came down from the stage with my hair up singing Frank Sinatra, and this guy said, man, you're way too good to, good to be cooking. Why aren't you making a living as, a, as an entertainer? Hmm. Well, at some point that stuck in my mind. Cut my hair off. I put a show together to, um, to pay tribute to Frank Sinatra, and the show ran for about two years in hmm. clubs in the northwest side. Hmm. We played uh, uh, Northwest Fellowship Baptist Church on Foster Avenue for a senior function. We played at... Uh, we played in basically mafia restaurants. Um, I mean, what are you going to do? I'll have the veal and who's in there? Who's performing tonight? Tom who? So, so here I am banking. I'm batting about 700 a week in cash, claiming about 6% of it. And the busboy is bringing me my deliveries. And this is a pretty sad way to live. Uh, so by 11 o'clock, you know, I was on the jet fuel. And by 3 o'clock, I was too paranoid to go back on the floor. But I did. At one point in the middle of an evening, I had reached into my pocket to get a customer receipt out because I had to make a change on a bill. I had to add a dessert and a coffee to a bill. And in front of the, the tenured waiter, a guy named Fabio, who's from Calabrese in Italy, Calabria in Italy, I had dropped a bag of Coke on the floor. Which, to which he didn't say anything, didn't respond at all, showed no reaction. But this was an indication to me that, uh, you know, things were pretty out of hand. Mm. At any rate, uh, job went, jobs went by. I ended up on the street in, uh, after breaking up with my, current, my then girlfriend um, in 2004. Mm. And I had been homeless for about three years since. Um, I entered a... What's, I, as we were talking, I wondering if you could share a little bit about what life on the streets was like, is like, mm-hmm. for the three years. So here you are, successful, making money, so on and so forth. Yeah, right. So tell us a little bit about that season, that journey, as you wound up on the streets. This is what this is what we refer to as the consequences of the disease. Um, I had been homeless previously in Chicago for a year. Um, in the late 80s, and it was, I looked at it as kind of an experiment. You know, hey, you know, this might be cool to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, the disease of addiction is a thinking disease. Uh, the disease uh, sabotages your self-esteem to the point where your thought process is so dysfunctional that you can convince yourself of just about anything. Mm-hmm. And I did. Um, when I was uh, first living on the street, I would uh, sleep in abandoned uh, Buildings under construction, seek out cardboard and plastic to keep warm. And as I got better at it, I would find um, uh, warmer places to sleep. I ended up building a camp on a brick embankment along uh, the Chicago River uh, behind River Point Mall. Uh, And it was literally right on the river. Paradise, right? (laughs) Um, I I had... 
gotten some construction materials, and this is what I have been doing for the last couple of years to earn money to buy dope with, hmm. was construction. So I got some materials, and I built this little lean-to, and it was really comfortable, man. It was, um, it was sad. I, um, I would read by candlelight at night, uh, live out of the Dominic's dumpster, take food that would... It's pretty amazing if you know anything about the kind of volume of food that the grocery store industry throws away. I ate pretty well. I mean, sure. Uh, taking microwavable food over to Menards, using the employee cafeteria, which is available to the public, to eat at my dinner. And I really thought I had a Jake, you know. I would uh, come to the new community warming center. Uh, when Katie was the director, use the telephone, load, you know, get the logistics together on a day's work, get the $100, go out and get high again. Mm. A real frustrating cycle of uh, apathy and, uh, frust- uh, and desperation, really, mm. uh, without any direction or guidance. Uh, I had, uh, it got really cold one night, really cold, about two years ago. It was about 25 below. Mm. And I remember feeling definitely that my body hit temperature had dropped two or three degrees easily. Mm. And uh, my motor skills were very impaired. And I literally stumbled to the McDonald's across Fullerton, went into the bathroom, turned on the heat, opened up my pants to bring my body temperature back to where I could function. Mm. And this was really a a physically... uh, A physical disaster for me. I uh, I began to th- began to think a little more seriously about my living environment. Maybe it's not so cool to be on the street and live uh, free. There's a tremendous freedom to the, in the homeless lifestyle. You're not beholden to anybody except the police. You stay out of their way, you're going to be all right. You go to the shelters, you go to the warming centers, you get some free soup, free phone call, free cup of coffee. Hey, this is super. I don't have to pay any rent. I don't have to pay any taxes. We know, how, you know, we know how much we we love to pay taxes to the Bush administration. So that was, <laughs> you know, that was great to get that off my chest. And uh, it was a continually, uh, continually spinning of the wheels um, in terms of uh, the lifestyle I had lived uh, when I left uh, high school and uh, had dropped out of college to become a cook. I uh, moved downtown, got a fantastic job at the East Bank Club. I was uh, attained the sous chef status, then chef status. Worked for the Fairmont Hotel for three years. Uh, and here I am, 2004, living on the street, getting ready to get a sign and go stand on the ramp. And, you know, spare change, Vietnam veteran, any lie will do. Just get it down with a magic marker and get out there and make your quarters. I never really ended up doing that. I, I was lucky enough to have a boss who was very forgiving and thoughtful, and and I would mess up, and he would take me back, and I would pay him the money I would owe him, and then take the rest of the money, and you know, back out to the spot. Um, at a certain point after this freeze out, I call it, I went to the rest shelter on the north side, which is located off of Lawrence and Broadway, and they have two locations for uh, open evening beds. One's on Berwyn, and the, one is, the, the biggest one is on Lawrence. And I got my ticket that night, and they separate the uh, homeless men and women, and some have to go to Berwyn, and some stay at that location on Lawrence. Well, it was a blessing. I, I was sent to the Berwyn Gymnasium at this church, and you have to, like, wait at McDonald's until five minutes before the door opens because no one in the neighborhood wants this group of people around their homes. So you, you follow the troop, and there's a troop of homeless sitting in McDonald's, stinking up the place. Raise your hand if you hadn't bathed. And I am one of them. And uh, we proceeded to the gymnasium. We got some dinner. And the following morning, a guy, uh, very humble older gentleman, probably in his 60s, he asked me if I wanted to go to church. He said, I'm going to give you a $3 McDonald's uh, Big Mac bucks or whatever they're called. If you come to church, I said, hey, it's breakfast and church. How can I lose? So they took me to, uh, in a van, I was the only guy among a probably, he probably asked 20 people if they wanted to go, who went. And uh, they drove us to the First Baptist Church in Hammond. And if I recall, this was around 2000 and, uh, 
six. And uh, that day I chose to be baptized. Uh, from a very desperate state, I had been wearing the same clothes for probably a month. Uh, you don't want to know what that was all about when I changed out of those clothes. That was a really uh, embarrassing and uh, destructive self-esteem issue for me. Um, here I had thousands of dollars worth of clothes uh, when I was working downtown. You know, I shopped at the most expensive places and, you know, didn't have a lot of financial intelligence when it came to that or discipline. And um, those clothes have been left in three states, uh, some in Arizona at my brother's house, some in Denver at my sister's house, some in Ohio. Um, I lived on a farm in Ohio in the late 70s, and a lot of the original clothing I had as a child was left on that farm. It was a commune type deal. But uh, after I was baptized, uh, in, in, right in that time frame, I had been coming to New Community uh, Warming Center on diversity, which is a blessing in the community. It's really a powerful place where God's work is being done. And I'm a product of this. Um, Katie was the director at the time I was there, and she had a very quiet spirituality about her. A discipline and um, uh, open-ended, unconditional love for everybody that came into the place, of whom I was fortunate to be one. And uh, things started to change for me spiritually after I was baptized, and uh, had the experience and the joy to be involved with the volunteers from New Community at the Warming Center. Uh, we would have conversations that stretched beyond the typical, um, I need a pair of socks and a razor today, uh, which was pretty steady for me. I usually needed a pair of socks and a razor. Um, as, as my awareness started to come back to me, I was still using and spinning my wheels a lot. Um, I had job opportunities. There's a, there's a, I wrote Peter a, a little letter earlier this month about the Florida fiasco. I had, Libby had taken over the warming center and I had been interviewing. Uh, my mother had been very supportive of me and I thought, you know, I'm going to take some resumes downtown and I'm going to get this thing back together. And I dropped it just out of the blue. I dropped a, a resume off at the old Biggs restaurant, which is now uh, Il Molino of New York. And I had worked down the street at Morton's about 25 years before. My first job in the city was at Morton's on, on state. So I was real familiar with the area. And I said, what the heck? I dropped the resume off. One day I walk into the warming center and it's Tommy, you have a phone call. Uh, you want, um, guy, Chef Gaetano wants you to call him. I'm like, this is it. I'm saved. So I went down, I nailed the interview. New Community provided me with a suit, not this suit, but they provided me with the clothing to look the part. And I stripped out of the suit, put on the cook outfit, filleted a 25 pound salmon, deboned a lamb, and I cut up a mirepoix of vegetables for the soup. And the sous chef came up to me and he told me, you didn't even have to fillet the salmon. By the time you got done with the lamb, you had the job. Well, the job was in Florida. I had no driver's license, no way to get on a plane even though they were going to pay for my airfare and hotel accommodations for the first month living there. That's, we call that the Florida fiasco at, work mm -hmm. at the center. And uh, I went through a dizzying three days of saying, I got to get on this plane. I got to get my identification. I'm going to make this happen. And I was really uh, spitting into the wind because it just wasn't going to happen. I had my niece do some research about the, uh, about the city of Sunny Isles, Florida, and came to find out after talking on the phone to this gentleman, Ralph Schwartz, in New York City, he's the uh, District Human Resources Director for this outfit. And uh, I said, you know, the research I've done, Ralph, tells me that the lifestyle down there and the cost of living is, is pretty high. And within a minute, literally on the telephone, he offered me another $100, which went from, it went from 700 a week to 800 a week. But he's telling me this isn't a chef's job. And I'm thinking, there's something really wrong here. I don't have any family in Colorado. This guy's not giving me all the information. And, you know, I believe that it was God's will that I didn't get on a plane and go there mm -hmm. or get on a bus and try and do it myself. Mm -hmm. And here I am, back, you know, back at the center, spinning my wheels, a little embarrassed that I, you know, couldn't make this happen for myself because I didn't have a driver's license. Um, as, I, as I 
kind of reestablished some relationships with my family. I abused those privileges. Uh, my sister had had a flood in her basement, and she had a remodeling job that she needed done. And um, I was booking hours that she was telling my boss I had never worked, you know, and I'm trying to milk this job for all the hours that I can because it's, you know, she won't know. Well, she knew. And um, this was a pretty uh, felonious thing to do. Uh, even though I was never charged with anything, this is uh, transgressing against my family. And, and uh, while I'm not proud of it, you know, I do ask God for forgiveness every day. And look to Jesus for the strength to carry me through uh, and help me make amends in the, in the way necessary, um, in the way he would have me do that. So since I've been in the treatment center that I'm in now, uh, I have written some letters, written letters to all my family in Chicago. I have family members throughout the U.S., uh, a brother in Maryland, a brother in uh, Oregon, a sister in Denver, and a brother in, in Arizona. And I'm trying to... Uh, you know, daily uh, ask the Lord for the strength to get out the information and the emotions that I feel about abusing my family for, for a long time and burning a lot of bridges that need to be rebuilt. Um, Tom, what was, the, what was the turning point? As you think back, what was the turning point? I mean, even as you're coming to a new community, warming center, you're still using and, and, and so on. So what was the turning point where you decided, you know what, that's it? Well, this year, uh, I, I turned 50 in May. Uh, and uh, by no coincidence, even though I wasn't aware of it, my father got sober when he was 50 years old. Uh, he spent the last 13 years of his life sober and became a substance abuse counselor at Lutheran General Hospital. For me... Um, the effects took, uh, took hold slowly, and it, it was directly related to the Holy Spirit working through the members of the warming center. The volunteers there were compassionate, giving them their time. They would give me, Libby would give me rides to places, to meetings when I wanted to go to meetings. I had been involved in the 12-step fellowship and, and had, gone, uh, had been going to meetings when I had trans money for transportation. You know, in the, in the more positive times when I, you know, tired of using and, and sick and tired of being sick and tired. Um, but in the beginning of the year, I had made a commitment that this is the year I'm going to get it together. I'm 50 years old. I got to make this happen for myself. There's life out there for me. Um, God wants more of me. He has a, a plan for me. Um, without without realizing exactly how to put that into practice, um, there were many options that I knew about. Uh, and the one was uh, that stood out the most was committing myself to the treatment center at the Salvation Army Adult Rehabilitation Center. Was that a hard decision to make? No. Okay. Why? Not at that point. At that point. Not at that point. Because I had so much support from everybody here. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I, as we talk encouraged me is that the reality is most of us on Sunday, we don't even know who some of these folks are. Mm -hmm. In our church, that's been yeah. in your life, that's been mm -hmm. the unconditional love and the support, mm -hmm. and your family. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what well, have they to, meant for? Yeah, I have yeah. to highlight Libby yeah. Van Opsel. Libby was our warming center Libby was director. The director. Yeah, um, who is on, Libby? Are you here? She was. In she's Texas. she's, she's out of town. Try and fly back. Okay, she's in Texas. Yeah, and uh, Kimmy, who's sitting here. Mm -hmm. uh, Leah. Mm -hmm. Making her applesauce muffins, which are, I mean, we can sell those in Lincoln Park. I can make some money on those applesauce muffins. Um, I was in church one day sitting right up there, and a, a complete stranger asked me if she could write something in my notebook. And I had this, uh, one of the homeless guys, his name is Robert. He's, uh, Robert is uh, mentally challenged, and he lives at the, uh, uh, he lives at the halfway house on the corner of, right around the corner, right down the street here at California and, um, uh, is it California or is it San? It's Yeah, right at California and Logan. Um, he had these little blank notebooks that were beautiful. They had a little pen in them. I said, sure, you can write in mine. So I hand her the book, and she writes this note to me um, and has had a tremendous influence in my life ever since Jennifer and her boyfriend, Curtis. Mm -hmm. um, I'm teaching Jennifer how to cook, and Curtis comes over and lets me play his guitar. 
and enjoys in the, uh, the salmon and the crepes that we've made. And, and it's a way for me to give back. Um, there's a, a pilot named Jack who uh, I was able to share some, some issues with about self-esteem and mail, the, man, the mail, the provider, the, uh, the iron fist in the relationship, if you will, whatever that means. Um, there was uh, Omar, of course, with his gregarious, hilarious personality, uh, very uplifting and, and in very subtle ways. Uh, these people had, had a, a great influence on me. And I, I said in the, the note that I wrote you, if, if I haven't mentioned your name, you know who you are. If you talk to me over there, you know who you are. We had at the Christmas dinner, we had a fantastic time serving. Mm. I was able to leave the center and spend the whole day at the warming center. And I got to tell you, the Thanksgiving dinner and the Christmas dinner were very, um, more so the first encounter I had at Thanksgiving it was very bittersweet. Mm. to have to say goodbye to this lifestyle that I lived for, for three years because um, any one of these men that I know and who are my friends, I'm proud to call these guys my friends, mm. can make this change. And it, it just, it, it's just um, a hammering away at the devil and bringing Jesus into, into my life is, is how this took place. Mm. Uh, I spent time on the street with a lot of guys near the warming center, drank a lot of beer, smoked a lot of crack, got into arguments, got into fights, spinning my wheels, as I said, with these people, um, passing no judgment on them as men uh, or women. There, there were a couple of women involved. Um, and looking at, as a result of coming out of a stable environment that the warming center is, mm -hmm. Uh, and having influ being influenced by people who are challenging me. Mm -hmm. Libby was great at that, challenging me, expecting more from me. Mm -hmm. And she said on more than one occasion, I know that you can do it. Mm -hmm. I believe in you. She's told me a dozen times if she told me once that mm -hmm. I believe in you. And um, I came to realize that this is the most powerful force on earth. This is the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, working through people to effect change in humanity. Amen. And I am, uh, I am the blessed recipient mm. uh, in this case. Mm. But for any one of these guys, for Robert who gave me the notebook, for Kevin, for Chris, this opportunity exists. Mm. Uh, I don't know when or how, uh, if there is one day that this turnaround took place for me. It was really a gradual thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you use enough cocaine, your self-esteem is non-existent after a while. Mm -hmm. The only thing you're thinking about is buying more cocaine. Mm -hmm. And I probably spent a half a million dollars on it in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. Because I've made a lot of money. I've, I've worked uh, for some top operations, and none of that money is in, my ba in a bank account in my name. Yeah. Pawn guitars, sold, sold automobiles, and sabotaged relationships with intelligent and sensitive and loving women. And uh, this, is the, this is the area I'm the least proud of, is the sabotage of relationships that I yeah. uh, affected in my life, yeah. that I was responsible for and am responsible for. Yeah. The, um, the week of um, October 12th, I went to Libby and I said, um, on Monday morning I made the decision was either the 12th or the 13th. I made the decision that I was going to go into the center and commit to this the six the, months. This is the rehab center. To the rehab center. Mm -hmm. I made the decision that I was going to go into the center and commit to the six-month treatment program. Mm -hmm. And um, it was easy. Mm -hmm. it was, it's what I needed to do. Mm -hmm. I'm doing it. I've been there nine weeks. Mm -hmm. Praise God today, clean and sober for nine weeks. Yeah. Um, And I, I should say, this is my third time to go into treatment. Um, while I was in treatment at this very same center in 1990, if you can believe this, my father passed away. He had a heart attack in his home a week after the, he and my mother had spent six weeks in the south of France. 
And I looked at that, and um, God took him at his, at his peak in life. He had just come from perhaps the most beautiful place in the world, or one of them, certainly. Uh, he was sober. And without knowing it, he had a tremendous effect on me and my desire to get sober. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, he wrote a program called Parkside, which is now a nationally... Uh, recognized uh, recovery program at the Lutheran Social Service Organization. And uh, he was a very disciplined uh, man in recovery. He didn't, uh, he didn't settle for half measures. He did not enable me. He kicked me out of the house at least twice uh, for being there, not to live there, just for being there. What are you doing here? You can't stay. Finish up that whatever you're eating. You got to go. Um, and within the last, at the Christmas party at my mom's house, we started talking, and I asked my mom, "When did when did my dad worked for a company called Grant Advertising? Well, and he he went to treatment at Grant Hospital, and I asked my mom, "When did Dad go into treatment?" She said, "No, when did when did Dad go to Grant?" And she was like, "Well, it had to be 1965 or something." I said, "No, no, no, no." Not Grant Advertising, Grant Hospital. So we clarified that, and he was 50 years old when he went into treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, this is part of my decision-making that uh, was enabled uh, through the clarity that I got from being involved at New Community and the Warming Center. I, I definitely attribute uh, the decision that I made to check in as a result of the rebuilding of my self-esteem just enough yeah. so I could be yeah. honest with myself. To have people like Libby to say that they believed in you. That's right. To have the various people that you mentioned be there for you unconditionally. Tom, what would you say to somebody? Maybe there's somebody here today who's saying, I can't find that in church. Like, people don't find... In church, people find judgment. In church, people find you need to have your act together. In church, you need to find... You know, what would you say to folks, in light of your experience, who say, I've got issues from A to Z. I am wrestling with addiction. People know, may not know. Can you really find that in church? Sure, certainly. There's no doubt in my mind. I'm a living example that uh, if you humble yourself enough and keep coming back, it's going to take hold. The, uh, the 12-step fellowships have an expression that's probably used more than any other, and that's keep coming back. And that's really the reason I'm alive today is because I kept coming back. Now, I had, when I first started coming to the, to the services here, Katie had talked me into coming to a service, and the, the sanctuary was being held at, uh, the, chat, the services were held at Inner City Impact. Mm-hmm. And I was like, who is this guy, Peter, Pastor Peter? Look at him, he's walking around. Are you tracking? Are you tracking? <laughs> no, the other one, the best one is, this is it, this is it, this is it. And, and it, that was it. That was really it. And I had, I have a philosophy I've used for a long time, and it was taught to me by Arnie Morton, uh, the great restaurateur. He told me, he said, if you're having a conflict with one of your employees, and at that point we, we had had a conflict with a guy they hired from the East Coast, and he couldn't cook his way out of a 10-ticket rush. And he was, this guy was a chef. And his name was, well, I won't tell you his name. Any, any, anyway, anyway uh, this guy would come up with a special that took 15 minutes to plate up. And, you know, when you're doing 300 tickets a night, you got about three minutes to plate up a dish. Mm. And it's got to look good in three minutes. So this was the kind of conflict. And he said, you know what, I'm, you know what you've got to do? You've got, you got to do some reverse philosophy on this. Look at this person exactly the opposite way of you're looking at him right now. So take that bad attitude and go all the way around to the other side and look at it that way. Mm. And, and this helps me in my recovery. Mm. This, helps me, this helped me in looking at, at New Community and looking at Pastor Peter. Mm. Um, I was, had, had problems with your delivery. There was no crescendo. <laughs> I'm looking for this. Oh, but there is. It's just in the middle. It's not at the end. (laughs) 
You've been to too many black churches. That's what it is. They got the You know? The, uh, the uh, Hammond First Baptist Church has a very... Hallelujah! Tell it! There's a lot of that at the Salvation Army. And uh, at any rate, the pastor at, uh, at Hammond First Baptist Church uh, was very, uh, had, like yourself, very charismatic and a very powerful speaker. But he had that final crescendo delivery. And maybe that's what I was looking for, but didn't need. At any rate, I kept coming back, and I listened more. And I paid more attention, and I got my Bible out, and I borrowed a Bible. I was given Bibles. Uh, I have a Bible here that was given to me by Kara, a very special friend. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm just going to read this. This is this, it's a men's devotional Bible, and it has a devotion every day, and then one for the weekend, for both days of the weekend. And this is what it said uh, Friday, I read it early, and then I read it all weekend, and I was reading it on the bus today. Recognize, to believe means to realize, not just with the head, but also with the heart, that God loves me in a creative, intimate, unique, reliable, and tender way. Creative. Out of his love, I came forth. Through his love, I am who I am. Intimate. His love reaches out to the deepest in me. Unique. His love embraces me as I am, not as I'm considered to be by other people, and this is good for me, or as supposed to be by my own self-image. Reliable, his love will never let me down. Tender, tenderness is what happens when you know you're deeply and sincerely liked by someone. So I want to thank Kara for the Bible. Um, the, uh, the wonderful thing about uh, Sundays for me, one of the many is the uh, the luncheon that we have after after church at uh, whatever restaurant we end up. We went to a Thai restaurant once. Once that was pretty bizarre. And um, uh, the restaurant was bizarre, or the food was bizarre. Uh, the experience was the bizarre. whole experience. Well, just yeah, bizarre. sitting down and okay. ordering from a waitress was kind of different. We usually go to Burger King, okay. and it's a lot of fun. And and you get to see people on their level. Yeah. And um, while I have put on a couple new coats of paint, I'm still. Somewhat the same person. Um, I'm driven in my faith today to develop a stronger relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is something I have been able to do uh, and have blessed, have been blessed uh, with. Um, I was standing on the, um, on the patio, it's at the back door, looking in the window at everyone sitting down and eating and thinking what a fantastic outreach this is to provide these guys with a meal hmm. And talk about spirituality. Mm. Um, and thinking, this is how Christ did it. Mm-hmm. He got everybody down and they broke bread. You know, they knocked back a little wine, which I can't do anymore. But, yeah. you know, that was, that was... Then they don't serve wine at Burger King anyway, so we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the, uh, the other way that I try to look at Jesus Christ is how would he react to the circumstances that I'm involved in in the treatment center. There are 120 men in a 10,000 square foot facility Mm. split among 12 dorms of which there's all kinds of personality disorders, including mine. Mm -hmm. The well-dressed, I can do everything, chef but won't work in the kitchen kind of guy. And that's, you know, why aren't you going into the kitchen, Tom? Why aren't you going into the kitchen? And that, you know, that's, those are issues I have to deal with, too. But I was blessed to give, be given a job after the first two weeks in the maintenance department, which is a coveted position. Uh, you don't get it unless you know something about it. Well, okay, so that was great. Uh, the problem is my boss is, uh, he's a rough, uh, he's, a, he's a rough hand. He's, he's a difficult uh, person to get along with. And we have developed a relationship, um, a strong one. A loyal, I have a loyal bond with this guy. I believe in what he knows how to do, and it's because his knowledge is vast. He took over his family company at 17, began doing estimates and taking checks from customers at 18. Mm. Um, and he knows the ins and outs of plumbing, electrical, not to mention cosmetic interior remodeling, exterior roofing. Uh, changing light bulbs is something this guy just doesn't do anymore. He gives to me, he gives me a list of light bulbs, and I got to go find them. Mm. And I mess that up sometimes. But I try to get it right. I was standing on the, uh, 
I was on the, uh, in the parking lot watching these 20 trucks at the Salvation Army get all warmed up and ready to load out in the morning. And I thought, this is a fantastic organization. This has got to work. They encourage people to donate to the, to the facility and to the organization. They sell these products to, a, peop, to a, a client base that needs inexpensive goods, and they receive them. And at the same time, they have the power to instill in people the life discipline and the uh, rethinking of, of their lifestyle and uh, the coming to the Lord of 120 men throughout the year. It's the second largest facility in Chicago, next to the Pacific Garden Mission. And it's the fourth largest, largest Salvation Army in the U.S. They process about 60 million tons, and this is phenomenal, a week of clothing, furniture, television sets, appliances, anything you can think of. They have, get estate donations, uh, and there's a nonstop flow of cars coming from Lincoln Park into the back donation area, which mm. they call the lobby truck, filling that baby. They fill up two trucks a day. And these trucks are 15-ton, 25-foot trucks. Uh, I was, when I was standing in the parking lot watching this go on, I thought, you know, Jesus is a part of this. He's right here. That's right. And um, this, this helps me understand the man, the carpenter, that works with his hands to improve the lot of others. Mm. And it's had a profound effect on me. And, it's, and it has affected my relationship with my boss, subtly. I don't yeah. sell him on anything, yeah. but I work with him closely. Yeah. And I tell him right out front, I'm loyal to you. I'm going to stand. I'm going to be at your back when people come and they, you know, because he gets backstabbed a lot by people on that property. Um, there's a verse in a Bob Marley song. They stab you in the back, and they claim that you're not looking, but Jah has them in the region of the valley of decision. And this is really true because God's looking down on us and he's watching out for Steve too. Yeah. And he's watching out for me. Yeah, yeah. Tom, there's a couple, couple things actually I wanted to, wanted to do Good. as much as we heard your story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't planning to do this. I'm going to put some people on the spot. But the reality is as much as our church has meant a life to you, you've also been life to us. You've also been a significant part of us. Our conversations on Sundays, whether it be five, ten minutes, have meant life to me. And there are various people in our church that you named and you've mentioned for whom you've also given and been a life. And so, actually, this morning, for those of you that know Tom um, and have been in friendship and relationship with him, we don't have mics to go around, so you're going to have to talk loud. But I'd love for you to share with Tom, as well as maybe the rest of the church, I mean, what has Tom meant for you? What has this relationship been like for you? How have you been blessed by Tom? See, I told you I'm going to put them on the spot. Maybe a handful of you guys can share.
time, we have time for a couple more. said who met Tom, Tom, you're my hero. I think there's a lot of inspiration that he provides for people, um, and it's just amazing to see God's restoration and God's renewing power through him. So. Amen. Thanks, Carol. Anybody, anybody else? Just go ahead and stand up, and Michael will come to you with the mic. Friends of time. Yeah, oh, we have two, okay. Anthony, go ahead and remain standing, okay? Yeah, we'll go to, uh, yeah. Um, from the first moment, I kind of glanced over at Tom at UCOM. Um, I don't know, I just felt some sort of energy. Maybe it was that he was just so nice and so warm. Um, I just felt really compelled to talk to him and to tell him what an amazing voice he has. Um, and through him, you know, I've gotten to know a lot about uh, the warming center and homeless life, and he's just really, um, really inspired me. Uh, he's, you know, gone through a lot, and we've kind of shared pretty dark paths. Um, they've been quite different, but he said something like... Um, you know, everyone goes through hardships, but we're all united by God's love and his compassion. And, um, you know, I never really thought about it that way. And I'm glad that we can um, be so honest with each other and um, spend such wonderful, like, quality time talking about how God has um, really changed our lives and um, thanks also for teaching me how to cook. <laughs> um, the crepes we made together were really good. So um, <laughs> I hope we can continue to, you know, fellowship together like that and um, share, you know, a deep relationship with each other and also with God. Thanks, Jeffrey. Uh, Tom, I just, um, I don't have a lot to say, but uh, I do want to just uh, point out that I've noticed your uh, vibrant personality from the first time I met you, and uh, I'm, I'm not uh, surprised to see that other people um, at our church really appreciate the times that they've got, gotten to spend with you, and I, I just want to say I, uh, I encourage you to just keep on uh, doing what you're doing and, and keep your uh, positive attitude. So thank you for the times that we've gotten to talk. Thanks, Anthony. I I have to say that uh, I have to say that uh, that uh, Kimmy's husband Nate. Uh, I have to thank him for bringing his uh, ha- having Kimmy bring those uh, trade magazines to the to the warming center. I. While I was while I was in my camp on the river, I have you know I have a voracious appetite to read and keep busy. And uh, he brought up uh, one of these audio magazines, and I took out of it a page that had a Bruce Springsteen picture in it of Bruce Springsteen doing what what is called the Madison Square Garden sermon, uh, Madison Square Garden sermon. And it's a phenomenal thing if you ever see the live performance uh, of like uh, ninety. Five in Madison Square Garden. It's a rejoining of the E Street Band. And he gives this really powerful sermon about having to work for it. And so I took it and I blew it up at the Office Max for like eight cents. And I made like five copies of it and I posted them all over the, my little campsite. And so thank you, Nate. 
And Curtis, I want to thank you for letting me play your guitar, man. It's a real joy. You know what I wanted to, uh, to do is uh, I wanted us to be able to pray for you and with you, Tom. Uh, the journey is just beginning. Uh, you've been in the, in the center for, uh, as you said, nine weeks, and the, and the journey still lies ahead. And uh, we're not going anywhere. We're a church family that's here for you. You know. And um, this is something that we're going we're gonna to do together. And so at this time, what I wanted to do actually was have some folks come around you and pray for you and with you and lift you up as you head towards 2009, okay? So for those of you out there who have uh, been in Tom's life and Tom has been in your life um, and uh, would love to uh, pass up this opportunity to pray for our brother, Come on up. Come on up. Come on up. We'll wait until everybody's up here. Father, we thank you that you are a God of transformation. You are a God of change. You are a God of redemption. You are a God of renewal. You are a God of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and infinity chances. You're a God who, as your word tells us, whose mercies never end and are new every morning. God, I thank you for this church family that surrounds our brother Tom. I thank you for every single men and women, God, that you have divinely allowed their, their paths and their lives to intersect. Our lives would not be the same without time as much as his life would not be the same without ours. Father, I thank you for the powerful work of your Holy Spirit that is at work in his life. I thank you, Jesus, that you are are, are actively and powerfully at work in his life. I thank you that he is sensitive to you, Holy Spirit. I thank you that he is able to discern your ways and to hear your voice. I thank you, Father, for the courage and the strength and the humility to begin to take steps in this journey. And Father, we come around him when we say that he does not walk this journey alone. Father, we will be there every step of the way. When he falls, we will be there to pick him up. When he succeeds, we will be there to cheer him on, God, and to rejoice with him every step, every moment. Father, I thank you for this church family and the ways that you have been at work. God, I thank you that because of you, this is possible. Because of you, this is possible. So we thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being at the center of this. And we say with our hearts, all praise and all honor and all glory go to you, Jesus. And may you, Jesus, be lifted high this morning by the testimony of our lives. You are God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. 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 Um, as the worship team comes up, we're going to go ahead, you guys, and, and uh, end. Uh, Tom specifically asked, Tom, come on up. You guys might have caught the, that uh, he uh, traveled or for two years. He, he did a show. So Tom asked specifically whether it was okay for him to sing a song that he wrote. Do y'all want to hear it? (laughs) It's a song that Tom wrote, and it's a a powerful testimony to to who God is and and what he has done. So, Tom? It's a song called uh, No More Guessing, and I wrote it a long time ago. It's a song about self-will and surrender. It's a song about desperation and recovery. can finally find a reason after searching years in vain you know this just might be my season to stop living life in pain no it's coming closer and I don't know what to do 
of asking just one question Tell me what would Jesus do Wait all day and wonder All I never seem to know Out in the rain and thunder I'm still hoping I can grow Don't keep me guessing now I don't know right away This isn't good for me I still got something to say Now I can find some motivation After years of using dope No more procrastination I'm gonna live my life with hope I know the feeling's getting stronger It's not enough to just stay clean Don't have to live in pain no longer Oh, I know you know just what I mean
Remember this, church. This will be a recurring, reoccurring corporate benediction as we leave every Sunday in 2009. We declare this truth together. We believe, say this together, ready? We believe that we were created to live deeply with one another, to carry each other's burdens and to share our possessions, and to pray for and confess our sins to each other, and to suffer and celebrate together. It's in these sacred relationships and honest, loving communities that God transforms us. The way of Jesus cannot be lived alone. The way of Jesus cannot be lived alone. The good and the bad, the hard and the good stuff. We thank God for who he is and what he has done in 2008. We look forward to his amazing work in 2009. Have a great, great Sunday. Tom, thank you very much for your testimony and your story. We thank God for you. Have a great, great day, you guys. Next week, we start to two services, 9 and 11. See you back then.